Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us for the first episode of Parcharte. I would like to take this opportunity to thank everyone who made this happen, in particular, Claire Bishop. As a way of introduction, I am a Colombian-American curator who works to include the voices of artists from Latin America who have historically been underrepresented in the field. My interest is in artists who understand and rewrite history, who think about themselves within the larger narratives, and who create new places for us to see and understand the present and think about the future. So I'm thrilled to bring to you the work and thoughts of Tatiana Rocha and Carolina Rubio McWright. Hi. Hello, my name is Carolina Rubio McWright, and I am a Colombian uh, artist living in the U.S., And I'm Tatiana Rocha. I'm also a Colombian artist living in New York, uh, Brooklyn, for over 21 years now. So I wanted you to share with us a little bit about what your experience was like at Washington Square Park as part of the Festival of Graduate Misfits. Uh, it was an amazing experience. I think that the variety of people that came to to see the pieces and that interacted with us was really interesting. That place has such a diverse group of individuals, a lot of youth from NYU. It was just a really interesting way of interacting with the community in a creative way and people were open to it, which was really nice. Do you want to share what your project is about? Because listeners may not know. What uh, the oh, absolutely. Truck of so the Ice Cream Truck of Rights was an initiative that we started this summer. And essentially what we did is we converted Uh, the, the Museum of Ice Cream's ice cream truck into uh, an intervention, an artistic intervention, uh, specifically trying to bring joy and rights to communities that felt left behind during COVID, you know, during the pandemic. Um, so we visited every borough, distributed more than 6,000 ice creams and rights. We created a jingle around rights and uh, we brought joy and visibility and, and sort of belonging to these communities And so we did a different iteration without the truck at Washington Square Park, but we shared the jingle, we gave away ice cream, and we gave away these cards, which were essentially, um, you know, flavors like, uh, you know, stop rum raising the rent and, and uh, not without my lawyer fudge. So every flavor connected to a specific right in a very somatic way. But each card has a QR code, and that QR code leads individuals to understand their rights. Um, so it was, it, it's a way of combining food, combining rights, combining this joyfulness of colors and, and that sort of joyful uh, pleasure that, that ice cream brings and sort of creating a space where people can come together. Yeah, a way of breaking the ice to talk about rights. <laughs> no pun intended. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, Tatiana, do you want to share a little bit about what it was like to talk to people about your work? Yes, I think that it was... Very, very interesting because part of the what I was doing, which was doing robbings of the coca leaf, maybe I need to go back a little bit what happened and how that started. So th this was a plant that I, the, uh, the clipping of a plant that I collected in Peru uh, and brought to the U.S. and have always been, felt very scared about having this plant. And over the summer, uh, I had a residency and I brought the plant with me. For some reason, there was something that made me wanting to bring the plant and think about connecting. Where was the residency? Was at the Wasaic Project in uh, upstate New York, uh, in Wasaic. And uh, it was a whole week where it rained a lot. So whatever I had planned for the residency didn't happen. And I started doing robbings of the plant. And as I was doing the robbings of the plant, I just couldn't stop myself. And I started the, like I started thinking about the, what this plant meant for me as a Colombian, what this plant meant for many Colombians, what was the context that the plant had. I started a conversation via WhatsApp of messages going back and forth with uh, Gorina Gedeca, who is an indigenous leader, Muinane um, indigenous leader in the Amazon, and asking him questions about if the plant carried... Um, ancestral knowledge if he thought that the plant was also giving us like had a memory like what was that memory if the maybe the plant had a memory related to the land and his answer was like it may be all of that if the plant manifests to each other differently and that for me just said in a very powerful way because the coca plant is 
illegal here, um, having access to mambe, which is the traditional way in which indigenous people um, uh, chew the plant, is not a possibility. And But the plant symbolizes the idea of thinking and communi communicating your thoughts with knowledge and to have a different way of communicating with people where you listen before you speak. And the action of doing the rubbings and the drawings was leading me to just spend a lot of time thinking. So I felt that I was, through this rubbings, embodying the plant. So bringing that, that practice to the park where it was an open space and just people were not necessarily approaching because it was not a setup where I was necessarily bringing. The second day that we did it, there was more people that came It was interesting because I had many conversations, but main, like I think that they were hard conversations because it's the understanding that people have with the plant and, and that connection, that negative connection and trying to break that vision of the plant is very hard. But I also noticed there was one particular instance that for me was just kind of, you know, there's conversations that sit with you and they're very present and you're like, wow, that just made me think differently about how I'm communicating or what I'm doing or the action of what I'm doing. And it was a conversation with one of the interesting people that uh, frequent Washington Square Park and where he approached and he said, is our laurel leaf? And I said, no, that's a coca leaf. And he said, that plant, that, that plant, um, he said, that plant ruined my life. And it was a very, what I, in that moment, I just got really nervous. And I was like, I clearly knew that it's a problem, a person that was struggling with drug, drug addiction And my first reaction was to like talk to him about what I've been learning through the process because I think that this process of being with the plant has been a process of learning. And I also realized how even that process of working as an artist with the plant was coming from a place of privilege and being able to be separated from the impact. And it made me think how the conversations or how this can be something transformative or not transformative, but even how when I approach my art practice with people always, for me, needs to come from a place of learning from the person that is seeing the art and not necessarily for me to be thinking that I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, that's a way of, in a place of like embodying the plan, like the what the plan wants to do, which is like sit and listen. And um, Gato, did you come across uh, similar surprises or yeah. anecdotes during your encounters with people? I mean, for sure. I think that there is, you know, a lot of my art practices remembering. I mean, we call it empowerment because it's easier for people to understand, but it's really this idea of remembering, right? That you have these inalienable rights that you belong, that... Um, what is assimilating. Um, and so with the ice cream truck of rights, you know, we had a very targeted audience during the summer. And so we were giving away ice cream and everybody was just lining up and coming and everybody was, it was, it felt like a festival, like a very joyous, wonderful thing. And we didn't have the, the truck this time around. So we had a trunk, the ice cream trunk of rights. Um, and that definitely generated a different conversation. But what I found interesting was, You know, this is a, a the context of, of where we, we set up um, the, the trunk and, and our performative piece it really attracted different people. We didn't get, we started getting at the beginning mostly laborers, like day laborers, like delivery boys and, and FedEx workers and people that were passing through, but they were in the middle of work, of the workday and... Um, those people were willing to give us time versus people that were very busy and, and perhaps had a mission just to get through the park. They weren't willing to sort of maybe invest in, you know, the time or who are these people, these crazy people. Um, and so that was, that was interesting because the purpose of the piece was really to bring joy to those people that were felt left behind. So I think it was sort of, um, it reiterated and I guess reaffirmed that, you know, our target audience was still captured even in a different space. 
And so I felt like that, that was, that was really beautiful and understanding. It was very intimate. It was definitely like a different, a different kind of connecting with a different audience where reproductive rights were really important because that's what's really happening right now. And so it was really lovely to, to hear from people. And when we did the piece in the summer, we were dictating the information that we were given and we were focusing on housing, immigrants and environmental rights because we felt like that was with a moratorium and, and given COVID, those were the most, the primary things that we were focusing on versus now where we know women's rights and reproductive rights are being, you know, attacked with Roe v. Wade. It was, it was really interesting to see that it wasn't just women. It was young people and old people that were really focused on this specific right. And so again, that feedback, like you're, like you're saying, right. What, what does the audience tell us and how we've had to change then and, and adapt the different iterations because for me the objective is for people to retain the information regardless of how they're learning whether it's through repetition through somatic practice through colors through conversation you know for me it's I want those people to learn something in that moment and recognize that you know those are rights that nobody can take away from you so different from your practice it's you know people are constantly teaching me through their absorption of the information, different ways in which we have to adapt in order to really be effective in delivering the information to our audience. But in both ways, I feel like the conversation has really shifted, like in terms of uh, drug legality or illegality, in terms of reproductive rights. And yet these are things that kind of stay. And it's, in my view, one of the beauties is that artists really bring a new way of looking at things to the table. And one of the reasons why I thought it would be great to bring you two together is because you had not met before and you're both Colombian and you are both based in New York. And even though you're targeting different subjects and topics, you are both thinking about how your experience as Colombian women is shaped in uh, your practice. So I wanted to ask you how you think having been born and raised in Colombia impacts your practice today and what you've brought from there and also how the geographical dislocation has also shifted your perspective in terms of how you see what is or is not home. Growing in Colombia, it's complex. There is so much levels of complexity and I've been thinking a lot about that. You know, it's... um. Um, I have thought since I started my practice uh, as an artist to think about that complexity and the complexity of the land, the complexity of the people, the amount of um, the diversity that is there, but also, um, and I think that how, I don't know, simple things and, uh, you know, how coming here, everything's like very programmed, very organized, you know, and there's always this thing like, oh, no, you know, it's a Colombian. They're going to arrive 40 minutes late, you know, and all these things that people take. But what I started noticing is that that sort of like relaxation around that is a way of adapting to complicated situations where you just are like, well, there was traffic, so I can dwell. And the fact that I'm not going to arrive to a place on time and I'm not going to stress about it. And it's a way of kind of like a, like a, like a different way of seeing things that are more flexible. And I feel that as I've been here, I've been just kind of getting used to, you know, like arriving, like having a very scheduled things. And this sounds crazy. Um, and, you know, so I'm always very scared when I go back to Colombia and be like, Ooh, I'm going to have to deal with the way things work there, you know? And I've now have started to have so much appreciation for that because I think that the energy that people have, it's an amazing energy, you know, like you're like, no se preocupe, mona, se le hace la cosa, se le everything can be made, you know, and it's like, and you encounter something like, I have this crazy idea. Oh, we'll make it happen. And, you know, and there's a sense of like, there's so much creativity and the way that people work because it's a country in which, you know, there's not accessibility to like now a lot more, but still, you know, like here you have the best equipment, the best machine, you know, and yet you get across people where they get really frustrated trying to figure things out. And there's there's that sort of 
a li- for me, I feel that there is this sense of joy that I find in Colombia that I kind of want to always keep with me. And I think that in terms of my work, that's kind of what I've been learned for me. It's been trying to connect with those things that I criticize so much throughout growing up and that of maybe being a third world country and that idea of always looking out to what's better there because I'm not getting it here. And now being like, well, that what I, those things are part of what shaped me to adjust to a different landscape, to adjust to different cultures, to adjust to different people, because I'm not growing, I wasn't growing up necessarily in such a, like even with the land, you know, like if you, like I think about my memories of like maybe going to my friend's house in La Calera and just going out and in my head, going into the creeks and into the rivers and just navigating a complicated landscape you know and being like oh this is what it is like not like even the way that it is so I've been comparing a lot the way that I am as a Latin American person oh as a Colombian woman with also how the forest is and how like I always think about how the organization of forests here is sometimes drives me nuts because I feel that trees are growing on a line and I'm like, wow, this is so weird that everything's like so organized. And I like that complexity and that intricacy of the land and of the, and of the culture. And I think that, I don't know if that answers any of the questions, but I feel that I'm appreciative for having been able to be exposed to that because I think that that allows me to be like now that I think about it, to try to bring that into being here. I think there's a duality. I felt trapped in Colombia and I only felt freedom in my farm. And so land and La Pachamama for me is freedom. And so coming to this country and being able to fully be myself, Colombian and happy and festive, that that is something that I don't take for granted. And so for me, having experienced the inability of being truly free and being truly myself because I was afraid I would get kidnapped or hurt or whatnot, that is a constant reminder of of why I do the work that I do. Mm -hmm. Freedom is my compass. But I think that the joy and the versatility that we learn in Colombia, navigating all these different intricate experiences, has given us a toolkit that is unbelievable because we can adapt and we can be a chameleon in any situation because we've been doing it since we were a kid, you know? And, and, and so I think that has been an amazing tool to have uh, for me, whether I've been in law school in Oklahoma in a completely weird setting. And it has opened my eyes to identifying situations where people are not truly free. And so that has been my guiding point. I want people to be able to feel the freedom I felt in my farm. And the older that I get, the more that I find the connection of Mother Earth, of La Pachamama, being something sacred. So for me, running every day in the woods is a ritual that I hold very dear to my heart and that grounds me. And so for me, you know, I I, I really, I find that my practice is changing and I'm finding that rituals, you know, I did a lot of praying in in the earlier years of, of my practice and a lot of repetition and a lot of a sort of connections to the culture that really jarred me in Colombia. And this idea of why can't we, you know, we're so versatile and so powerful. Why are, are all these issues not resolved? Mm-hmm. For me, that was like a, a huge thing growing up. And so I think that there is that duality and that ability to see the joyous of Colombia, but also be able to see that. I can achieve so much more here because there's no corruption. I mean, there is corruption, but to a different level. I think that has really given me wings. And and uh, the idea of assimilating is no longer when I see the world as we all belong in Pachamama. So there's no need for me to assimilate and continuously be a chameleon in order to fit in spaces that were not built for us. Because there's always the woods. And the woods will always sort of be part of who we are and will be connected to our land. I thought maybe you could talk about one of the works that could connect the two of you. Um, and it's the work that you titled Un Rio Que Se Niega a Morir from 2021. 
Um, and I thought to bring it in because of the way that it was inspired by the Rio Atrato, who is a river in the state of Chocó, that was one of the, the sites for one of the first, um, like most important judicial de- decisions based on, on nature and how that, that site inspired you to make a work around it, going back to the idea of what's inalienable right and who holds them as a point of contact between the two of you. And maybe speak about the sort of your, your aesthetic decisions behind making works that are based on, on the trace of nature. So my dad, Jaime Arocha Rodriguez, has been doing work and all of his work has been focused in the Pacific region of Colombia. And um, I was always hearing from him. And I think that one of the things that I love is that my dad always shared what he was learning from his practice as an anthropologist and always sharing. And, and it was like, like, um, like I was getting all this in, like information constantly from him. And before um, I came to New York, we decided to visit Lensana Utria. And I have this very distinct, like in Colombia, I was used to travel by car. That was the main thing. Like, I don't think that I ever went anywhere by plane. Like, in my recollection of time, I never, like, went to... Maybe, like, when I was 20, I went to Cartagena by plane. But all my memories are traveling by car. Taking a car trip from Bogota all the way to Cartagena, you know, uh, to Medellin. Always by car. Everywhere that we were going was by car. And when you see the land from the car perspective, you experience all the kind of climate changes, the smells change. And I, I, if I close my eyes, I can reimagine the smell of entering warm weather that becomes really sweet. And it really, and I, and I love that. So I always, and then the cold of like a uh, getting really high and everything in getting in the fog <laughs> and all of that is really magical, but I never realized how you could actually see what happens to the land when you're in a plane and you're seeing them. Mm-hmm. And in the sense of like thinking, I think that when I was going to Cartagena, you're not necessarily going like, ooh, what's happening to the, around Cartagena? You're like, I'm going to go party, you know, and who's at there? It, it was just at a, a different time of life. And when I went to Lensenado um, Tria, we had done a trip Basically, we went from Bogota all the way to Los Llanos Orientales and then from Los Llanos Orientales all the way to Cali. And in Cali, we took a plane, a small plane that was bringing us to Lensenada Utria. And those planes, you fly really close to. It's not like super high, like a normal plane. And I saw the impact of gold mining over the rivers, over the rainforest. And that was an image that stayed with me. And uh, later, we again went to the same region with my son Joaquin and my and, and my dad and Alex, my 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 husband. And again, we saw it and saw again this impact. And that image has been always very present. And I and I always find it very hard to recreate. But since I mean that would be like. For 25 years, I've been wanting to represent what is what I'm seeing, but also learning how how the how people in that area continue to like fight over the land, how hard they fight, what's happening there, and and just to be able to in a way speak about that and represent that. Um, so this year, I was like, I need to get that image out of my head, mm-hmm. even though it's super complicated. And the way that I work and even having an aerial view that is re-represented and is that not a photo, it's challenging, especially I'm not, um, how do you say it? I'm not a hyper-realistic painter. And even if I was a hyper-realistic painter, if you imagine a painting of a bird's eye view, it's going to be a bunch of blobs, you know, and... And the river and it's like how do you get that image where you get the sense of like the forests and 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 just tell that story of of what it's feeling so that I was trying to do that with the piece and be able to 
to also express that wealth of that river that connects such a long it's such an important river through Colombia and, you know, and a place that it's also very removed for me as growing in Bogota. It's, it's a place that I, like, that I don't know how many people in Colombia actually have been there or, or have been able to go there. It's a place that, that it feels really far from, at least when you're in Bogota, it's very remote. It's very remote. So growing up like so separated from some areas of Colombia it's very interesting and it's like how do you come close to those or how you represent them or how do you feel that they're part of what you're doing or how do and how do you how do I get to really understand the impact of being so removed to from the rural areas in Colombia where is where most of the issues happen yeah I think that's an interesting point to maybe break on yeah. in terms of how you feel it's possible to deal with issues that maybe don't necessarily impact you. So, for example, what you're talking about in terms of the gold mining, that impacts heavily the Afro-Colombian descendants. And yeah. it's somehow impacting you as well, but it's not a direct impact. And we were talking about earlier this idea of who can speak to what with relation to the movie Encanto. It's interesting to think of in terms of issues of representation and who gets to say what. And I think in both of your practices, because of the things that you're uh, dealing with, whether it's uh, environmental crisis or immigrant rights, it's uh, being able to speak about things that have had an impact in your lives, but perhaps not so much as the people that you are working with or trying to bring awareness to. I mean, I think there's a duty, you know, for me, working with immigrants and indigenous immigrants, um, at any point, you know, I, I feel like we're still in a position where I have to be the bridge of for information, right? A lot of the women I work with don't even speak Spanish. They speak Quiche and communication is very basic. Um, but I think that there's a duty on the person. Like, I feel like if I have somebody that can speak directly about the issue... I, it's my duty to give them the mic, right? I will never be able to represent what it was like to grow up as an indigenous person in a small community where you have a child with special needs that was shunned and never, you know, continued, like grew up in the community, right? That was not my experience. And so I think it's more effective um, in every way for, for us to have, you know, that the person that is truly the victim or the person that has been wronged or the person that has lived through that experience to share that because it, it, it will be more authentic. And I think the information, if we're talking about energies and the way that, you know, the coca leaf communicates and all these things, I feel like there is something very powerful about, you know, giving voice to the people that are directly affected. And so for me, the border has been really important and, um, it is through these conversations and through living, being in a detention center, being in a shelter, um, and understanding sort of like how, what are the needs that has led me to produce specific pieces that are connected to, you know, I am a bridge cause I am an artist and I'm able to interpret it. However, um, I am always making sure that if there's an opportunity for one of these individuals to come and speak or to be in a podcast or to whatever it is that I'm bringing awareness to, that those are the voices that are, that are speaking whether it be farm workers or, or immigrants or incarcerated individuals, um, because they will be the most authentic and the most effective at communicating the information that is to be shared. So I think as an artist and as humans in general, we have this duty to, to make sure that we're honoring, by honoring people from a specific place um, of, of land, to make sure that those are the people that are you know, like I think it, you know, obviously you can make all the pieces in the world and, and, and maybe us being chameleons and being able to navigate different worlds gives us an, an, an extra edge in being able to think in a certain way and communicate the information better than maybe somebody that is not exposed to this community is, which is why, you know, I think those not to take away from the bridge building and those bridges where we are sort of like 
right? Uh, uh, the messenger, the chasky, yeah. the chasky. Um, <laughs> but I, we, but I do think that there, there's something really important where like you have to go and really feel the space, really feel the land, smell the land, see yeah. the land, be with the people in order to really sort of be a good messenger, like the coca leaf, right? You have to touch yeah. it and feel it. And I think that it's from what you're saying and I'm trying, like as you're talking, I'm like, okay, I need to like, what is it that you say that I, I'm like, it's really part. But um, I think that what is really important from what you're saying about being that messenger, I think it's also to think, I think that, I mean, from what we've been talking today, all of us arrived 20 years ago, 21 years ago, a lot of things have changed. Mm -hmm. So I think that now when I see myself as a messenger is very different when I started doing my pieces where there was no, like there was no Instagram. I think that now through Instagram that has opened um, incredibly to people that have access to have those conversations, to be those voices, the people that are in the land are that are in the places where are having problems to voice out what it's happening to divulgar. How do you say? To divulge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, so now I feel that I have a different place that when I started, because I feel that when I started, I was this Colombian person that was just being asked about where, if you would travel to Colombia, where they could get good cocaine. And that went for years, you know, and meetings and reunions. And I was like, I need to speak about why, what I experienced that was this Basically, being able to travel by car throughout the country and get to experience all the all the rural like places of Colombia that are incredible and that are truly so different, like so unique, and they feel like from from a movie, you know, that that issue of Colombia being just related to cocaine. And, and the problem of cocaine being such a strong problem with deforestation, with displacement, with the war, and with what has taken us away from the country that we love. Because even if you're not affected directly, every Colombian person has been affected by that war and what happens through that. And that war has is very... Um, supported by the business of cocaine. I feel that that bridge and that purpose that initially I had has been changing. And that's what I, going back to maybe something that I said initially in this conversation, I now feel that the place of my work and the exploration of my own practice is more of one of learning back from my country and learning all those processes that have changed by being here and connecting just finding that connection and and understanding what has happened while I'm not here and kind of reversing you know I feel that going back and listen to the to the voices of all these people to listening to the incredible uh, scholars that are in Colombia in Colombia and in South America to all these people that have such a incredible view of the world thinkers and just to just kind of go the reverse way so i feel mm -hmm. that now i'm going wait 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 what's being said there because what it's being said there it's it's incredible mm -hmm. and it's like i was always like oh what's being said in the north and let's look at what's happening in the north and i'm like there's all these movements and and important things happening there and people speaking up and and what is happening there and how do I learn from there so I think that that position for me has kind of shifted and and it's always it's going to be always shifting I think that both of our experiences in the park were one of evolving of like well there's only one constant and it's changed it's changed so exactly it's it's I think that Speaking about Colombia, for me, I still hold Colombia as a traumatic experience, a very giving and loving and amazing, but also very traumatic experience yeah. that I'm trying to. So I don't really have a connection with the land anymore. But I feel like uh, through all my experiences, I, all of my art practices have to do with I've always worked with beeswax. I've always worked with clay. I've always worked with um, very much land. And and it's so interesting how so many things make sense now. And climate crisis and migration, all of these issues to me are connected to 
So every, right, they're all connected. They're interconnected. Like climate change and climate migrants have been happening for the last 10 years. And I've been, you know, I've been telling and warning people and, and nobody hears and people think it's in the future, but it's happening now. And so for me, it's, it's, um, I feel like I am uh, advocating for Pachamama, like she's my client. And as a lawyer and as an artist, uh, you know, I realize that that is the most urgent thing that I have to that I have to connect with. Um, I have a tool a toolkit that is is a lawyer in this country. It's not in Colombia. I mean, I went to law school in Colombia, but it's a very different judicial system that for me doesn't really fit the people of Colombia. It wasn't ours. It was from the Chileans who copied it from the French. Um, so I, I feel like the more the time passes, the more removed I am from Colombia, but also the closer that I am to those feelings of freedom and those understanding of, uh, the ability to change things. And so less of an activist and more of, um, I guess an activist, but more in the imagination world where I think for Colombians imagining something, you know, as you said in the beginning, like we will figure it out, we will figure it out. And I feel like this sense of resource, the resourcefulness is very, um, you know, it happens when you're in a crisis in war, like in Colombia, where you become very resourceful. And I feel like that is the place that we are in now in our policies and in our work as in our social, political and, and everything is changing right now. So I think it's, it's really, um, to me, exciting to see myself as, as nature being my client, but also being able to understand and recognize that I have this toolkit that I am very grateful for having as a result of my sort of traumatic and amazing experience, right? That duality again in Colombia enables me to be an amazing advocate for the gaps and the things that I'm able to identify in our communities. And so um, what is art practice, right? I feel like for me, it's been my my law is an art practice the way that i interact with people the pieces that i um that i create are very much outside of the museum outside of these oppressive colonialistic systems that define what art is and so for me art is happening in the open that's where the true um sort of ripple effect of 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 what you're doing really has so i think that we're in a very exciting exciting time where where we can push those spaces and and I feel very lucky to have lived and grown up in Colombia because it really I think it's an advantage I yeah I agree I remember at some point being like this is good that I'm different when I'm presenting a work or when I'm presenting an idea it's like it's good that I'm not the same as everyone like I truly even though there is it was complicated I truly believe that being from a different place having the accent um, even I'm worked really hard to like get rid of it or perfection it. I always felt that that was something that was unique and it was great and it was special. It's a beautiful song, like birds. Yeah. They don't all yeah. sound the same, no. and we're not meant to. No, we're uh, right? not. Like yeah. we're not meant to to sound. You know, I I find myself really questioning so many systems from. Um, you know, why do I have to perfect my spelling when I'm trying to send an idea on Instagram when people will get what I'm saying? And the objective is really effective communication. Yeah. Right. Why do I have to dress the specific way in this context? Why do I have to like go and seek approval from, you know, I've never really belonged in the art world too much in the sense, in the traditional way where, you know, I've had very few exhibitions and, and commissions and so on because um, I see myself as a worker of the people and uh, my objective is to bring art and bring feelings and bring experiences to the people and my people are not in those spaces and so um, so I feel like there was a big shift in my understanding of the potential of what art is what is art and how, design and and how and I think it has it was definitely that uh, being Colombian and finding myself in these completely different situations that have really dictated and enriched my idea of who gets to define what it is. Yeah. Well, I also think that we only had two museums, you know, like yeah. in Bogota, there's only two museums. It was, you know, it was not like, 
there was all these museums that you would go and visit. And I think that one thing that I always think about that, but then there was like the La Feria de Artesanías de Colombia, mm-hmm. which for me, I was more exciting than going to the Museum of Modern Art, like, or equally, but I know that everyone goes to the the Artisans Fair and it's like, and it, and and it's you know it's like a respectful thing to be there you know and it's people from different backgrounds that are doing I remember that one of, the, of my boyfriend his sister had a stand there and it was like a and she was not doing you know uh, traditional it was she was doing like puffy jackets but mm-hmm. she was doing it herself so that already was like puffy jackets like you know like mm-hmm. um. Yeah, puffy jacket. Like a puffy jacket. And you're like, but that was being sold there. And then next to it was like these beautiful things from from El Choco. And it's so it was like a combination of like everything fits in this fair, right? And I think that that, that thought is kind of really beautiful. I love how you're saying um, how you don't see your work living in conventional spaces because even though I I think that, that I have worked more in galleries, I... St- most of the work that I started doing is public art because I feel that my conversation belongs in the public realm and being able to start those conversations outdoors. Um, I still love the wide cube of a gallery because it gives me another kind of conversations, but I truly be, I agree with you. Like having the I mean, work. I feel like there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a place for that. Like, I mean, whenever I've done pieces that have been in white spaces, you know, it's such a privilege to be in that space where you can, you have captured audience, right? People go to the museum to see whatever art is there and they're already trusting whoever is curating that space. And it's a different result. It's something that is enjoyable as well. But I think that not knowing what necessarily the result is going to be or what's the, that is what happens when the art is in the public realm, you know, like out there interacting with people different you have a different, a very different conversation. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, I think and that there's a place and, 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 you know, there's a place for both, right? Yeah. I think that we as women and as Latinas have been kept from spaces, these spaces for so many years. We still are, unless we are of some benefit to whoever is showing, right? Or we have an in, or we know somebody, or we have a, tra- I don't have a master's in art, right? Neither. I have a, 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 a JD. Um, yeah. And so... I think that there are some spaces that really gatekeep from, you know, from accessibility to maybe audiences and other opportunities. And and so, um, so for me, it was, it's, again, I'm not going to find my people in those spaces. And the times that I've tried to bring my people into those spaces, we've been like followed and and accosted and it it has not been Mm. pleasant. So, um, you know, so I think that that it's it's um, I don't know, like there's there's a place for both. And I think that they're both expanding and they're both changing. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're I think there's a reckoning in every aspect, in every way in the world right now, especially after COVID, where we are we're sort of expanding and recognizing so many things, you know, for me the 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 destruction of the imagination is a result of colonialism. And capitalism. And so um, how do we disrupt these two in order to continue to invigorate the imagination and continuing to really bring and push those limits? I just thought about this, like, you know, like the first time that I showed my work was at a juice shop in the neighborhood. Juice? Yeah. The guy was doing like, you know, juice. Had you, yeah. He, the, the, it was around the corner, a place where they do smoothies. Which for me was just like, ooh, a smoothie, you know, like, wow, what is this thing, you know? And then I was like, ooh, I do work about the rainforest. You do smoothies. Can I have my work here, you know? But it was like, you know, I'm like, I, I can I put one of my pieces here? And it was just like, it's, it's kind of that just... Going for it. For the places that you're like, you know, it's, it's, they're more approachable, you know? You can't belong in those places. I don't know if I would have gone around to the gallery around the corner that there was one and I would have the same reaction you probably would have gone to the gallery and they were like I don't know you need to submit your work and 
you know, and go through all these loops and hoops and, you know, and then I would have felt discouraged. I went, this guy showed it and then one of the clients I had saw the work and then later I was doing a mural for the network because my client lived in the neighborhood, saw the piece of art, called me to do something that was based on that and, you know, so it's those, even those those things that happen are for me are like that those are the coins not coincidence but things that entanglements yeah like of like how the things are are connected and it's like and i think that that it's the magic of the public spaces mm-hmm. it's like you things come uh, and what you were saying are people not being i do feel that that's something that it's like i've heard a lot of that and that it's that's it happens. People don't feel welcome into some places and they feel that are places that are exclusive and not inclusive. And that I think that with public art, it's about inclusivity and that's very exciting. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you're developing at the moment and maybe some future projects? I know that uh, I have an inside scoop, but maybe you want to share with everyone else. My practice has been changing so much and it really is about the experience. I mean, I remember when I was first introduced to, um, you know, performance art and installation, my mind blew up because I had been raised in a two-dimensional world where art was like a painting or a body or whatnot. And the idea of introducing all of your senses was so powerful to me. Um, And so I find that my practice now is very much uh, going towards experiences. And so we are... So we're doing another iteration of the Ice Cream Truck of Rights in Los Angeles, but we're focusing on farm workers this time and and focusing on on, um, labor rights and financial security and financial freedom, uh, generational wealth. And the other project that I'm super excited about that um, I'm doing is I am designing um, a space, a shelter in the border for, you know, newly arriving immigrants and uh, we're creating this map of the U.S. with QR codes that will have access to resources like, you know, uh, medical for kids, for mamas, uh, food banks, all sorts shelters, like all sorts of different different uh, resources. Um, and we're giving a place, we're giving a map of the U.S. so people can really feel where they're going, like topographically. Is it cold? Is it warm? Like, what does it look like? There's so many questions when you move here, and I find that these are such there are so many simple tools and simple beautiful welcoming that they really don't get with the policies and and this is something that i have control over where people will be coming here people will feel welcomed they will see the colors they will feel um you know for for my practice uh beauty you know communicates dignity and so we want to make this space the most beautiful very you know, any opportunity I get, I try to teach people something or try to give them something, remind them of their power. And, and, uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about that project and the ice cream truck and see what other iterations of, of, um, you know, of empowerment and, and of rights we can bring to the community. Hmm. That's amazing. I'm super excited about, Two things. I'm going to be working on a commission, which is like a three-dimensional piece that it's going to be at a shopping mall. And again, it's a public space, which I also kind of like the, to be in the spaces where conversations around the environment are not necessarily like present, but also there's the conflict of the brands that are being sold there. And I don't know if you just now saw, there is a study that is coming out about all the different brands that are sourcing leather and it's affecting the deforestation in Brazil. Oh, no. uh, it's in, So now I'm kind of excited about this kind of duality of talking about the rainforest in a place where there's all these brands that indirectly have an impact. And I think that when you talk about this whole world, that's like now that I'm talking about this, that's where I'm like, okay, here's the connection where how for me has always been like how it's not what happens, what's been happening in South America, what it's happening in Latin America. It's so much an effect of what has been created here. 
and immigration, it's an effect. Everything, it's connected. And there's that connection. One thing is not happening separate from the impact of other places. So I love those ideas of entering these spaces where even the people are going and buying from brands that have an impact, you know, that have an indirect impact in the environment and just kind of sitting in these places, you know, and kind of through just something beautiful, just kind of captivating, just kind of dragging people. That's one. Then the other one is called Sinfonia Tropico, and it's an initiative that invites artists to collaborate with youth from places in Colombia that have been heavily affected by violence and places where the options of work are directly connected with the cocaine industry. So they invite artists and people that are doing art so the youth see other ways of being successful in the world. The residency is going to be with a group of uh, youth uh, that were excombatientes de las FARC. I don't know how to say excombatientes. Former combatants. Former combatants of, FARC, uh, of the FARC. And they're young people that are looking to options into working that are not based in violence or in illegal practices. And one of those is seeing how they can be stewards of the land and be tourist guides and and I'm going to go and um, I'm excited. I feel that, you know, I'm going there to share with them my process and how I do and how I create work and my Photoshop skills and the way that I work. And I'm honestly just very excited to learn from the kids. And I think that kind of exciting to feel that you're going to enter into a reciprocal relationship. Every time that I go to Colombia, I feel that I receive so much knowledge from the people that I'm meeting that have stayed there and that have been working towards a better country. You know, <laughs> I go there and then I come back with a new set of things that I've learned that inspire my work. That's yeah. really exciting. It's maybe a good place to close. I wanted to thank Tatiana and Carolina for participating and accepting my invitation to be part of the festival. Thank you all for listening. Thank you thank so you. much. Yeah, yeah I, I would say thank you so much for also thinking about putting us together. And Absolutely. I think that it's exciting to see how different practices have ways in which they overlap. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. I, I never thought that it would end this way. And I. I will be witness to the final day It doesn't feel that bad There's Jesus on a cloud <laughs>